Welcome! I am Marie-Laure Anskussen and this is From the Booth, a podcast where we talk about the films playing at BYU International Cinema. We're entering week one of our program and today we're talking about the documentary Monoblock. German filmmaker Hauke Wendler traveled around the world to document attitudes towards and uses of this cheap, stackable, often white, always plastic chair, a best-selling piece of furniture in many countries. I'm joined today by David Morgan, professor of design at BYU. Welcome, David. Thank you, Marilar. David received his Master of Industrial Design degree from the Rhode Island School of Design and his undergraduate degree in industrial design from Brigham Young University. Professionally, David has designed products, including furniture, shoes, housewares, and soft goods. I'm in his office right now, and I can tell you it's very creative and beautiful. I'm sitting on an amazing chair and a beautiful colored chair that feels really good and it's very comfortable that I'm sure David designed. It's pretty amazing. A visit to David's office maybe is like a visit to the museum in some ways. David has been a professor here of design for 23 years. Sorry, maybe not just BYU, but but altogether for 23 years. He began his career as RISD, then moved to the University of Wisconsin, then became the chair of the Industrial Design Graduate Program at the Rochester Institute of Technology. And now he's an associate professor at Brigham Young University. His research at BYU has focused on the art and science of folding as a means of idea generation, form given, and mass production. He and his students have shown their origami-inspired product at design exhibitions in Europe, Canada, and the United States. He's a co-author of Why Origami? Exploration in Folding, recently published by the American Mathematical Society. Welcome, David. Oh, thank you. We are thrilled to have you on our podcast. We're talking about Monoblock, this documentary that is very, very recent. You've watched it for us, and I'm wondering what your impressions were of this documentary and some of your thoughts about the message in this documentary. Yeah, I think anytime we can talk about a product is you know interesting for me because I think that things play an important role in our lives. Actually, things are a way that we express what's important to us and also a way that we talk to each other about what's important to us. You know, I'm, I'm glad, I'm happy to talk about things. Great. And this chair, um, I've seen some statistics. It says uh, 1 billion sold all over the world. It takes about 50 to 55 seconds to make one. So if you're just, you know, looking at your watch, a few monoblocks have been made already during this podcast. Yeah. And there's a wide variety of attitudes towards this object. How would you describe some of those attitudes? Yeah, when I think about this chair, I think it's a ubiquitous product. We see it all over the world. I kind of maybe think about it in terms of other species that we see all over the world, like a crow. A crow <laughs> finds its way into every, every environment throughout the world, probably, right? Or maybe a dandelion, very successful species, and maybe we could think of the monoblock this way. It's also a very successful species, not without its problems, right? Because it's a plastic chair and it's kind of cheap. And you know, how do we feel about this thing being distributed all over? So many of them could be considered a problem, but also could be celebrated in certain ways because of its value and its success to to many people. 
Yes, and there's a wide variety of, of usage of them as well. Yeah. <laughs> At the beginning of the film, it's, it's interesting how it starts. For me, because the filmmaker is letting us in of, on the filmmaking trick, if, if you will, yeah. we see a scene and then the camera moves back and then you see this is a construction. You know, that monoblock chair is in the middle. Uh -huh. So we're going to, this documentary is showing us, I'm going to tell you a story about an object. And I've been thinking about it because the narration at that point says, when you make films, you're constantly looking for stories, for great images and moving moments. If you stumble over a plastic chair, no one breaks out in cheers. Nobody thinks, wow, this is going to be a film. But in this life, very little is what it seems to be at first glance. So with this quote in mind and the diversity around of attitudes and usages around this chair, mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you can tell us about a chair or an object? We can extend it. Mm -hmm. And what role it plays in different people's lives? Because we cannot be tricked. We, we come with a set of ideas, a lot of uh, preconceived ideas, and we most of us do not like that chair. Yeah. You know, it, yeah. maybe it's not very comfortable, it breaks. Right. So we're coming with those kind of ideas. But what is this documentary doing with us and, and showing us the monoblock? Yeah, I think it's taking an ordinary, perfectly ordinary object that we may not think very much about and zeroing in on this thing as a way to explore the meaning of things. And the meaning of things, you know, are is sort of like you already said based on our values and where we come from and who we are so this particular chair is sort of a good dividing object how you feel about this chair probably says a lot about how you feel about lots of other things too and where you're coming from and the documentary goes on to very specific stories of people so in germany and france and italy but we're traveling to india and to africa and we see how this chair changes people's lives. For our community to go see this documentary, I feel is essential, really. Mm -hmm. We only offer this, this documentary twice this week, so please don't miss it, because it really changed the way I, I looked at the chair. It became precious, Yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, because if we think about it in the film, it shows the chair on the streets of a German city, and it's in this white cube, and Many people in that setting are pretty hostile to the chair. Do you remember the point when a guy picks up the chair and actually smashes it's it? It's so right? violent, right? Yeah. You're like, yeah. why are you doing this? He's like, hates this <laughs> yeah. chair. It's like, whoa. But then somebody, yeah. the woman in Uganda, you know, this chair for her was a miracle. It gave her mobility. It gave her somewhere to be up off the ground. So the fact that a single product can be mean two totally different things to different people. It's, I don't know, I think that's the way many things are in our lives, right? Many things are divide us and also have some similarities, point out some similarities that we also share with people around the world. That's right, and it brings us closer to, to those people. And all of a sudden, something that we take for granted, we realize offers mobility, offers a seat. They're not on the ground anymore. Yeah. It's something to sit on. Yeah. And it's very life-changing for them. So how would you say the reason why this monoblock is so successful? Oh, uh, yeah. Okay, so one reason this monoblock is 
so successful because it sort of has found a niche in a way. I mean, economically, it's accessible to many people who wouldn't have anything else that they could sit on. So because of its super low price point, you can buy this chair for $4, right? So that's one reason it's so successful. Another reason is it never got a patent. That's so right. there was no intellectual property, which, you know, like I'm a champion of that. So yeah. I feel like that's another reason because it was never protected in that way. So then that enabled thousands of manufacturers to make their version of this chair, which creates this whole cool ecosystem that wouldn't exist if you had, you know, these property rights to it. Do you think we would regard that chair differently if actually it had been patented and would represent a bigger value? One of the passages in the documentary, I mean, we go through the history of the chair and they find the inventor of the chair in France, yeah. they find the manufacturers in Italy. Yeah. I mean, this documentary is pretty deep in, yeah. its, in its conception of the chair. One of the passages, we go to the museum mm -hmm. and we realize that mm -hmm. some pieces are museum objects. So coming back to my question, do you think that this object would have had another trajectory in the history of objects if it had been patented? Almost certainly. Yeah. Once there's economic interest in it, then it's going to have a, a whole different life. I mean, this chair was included in that Vitra Design Museum exhibition in retrospect because they had all these other chairs that grew out of this chair, right? much more beautiful, much more higher quality. But this chair gave rise to those chairs. So looking in retrospect, it made it into the exhibition because yeah. it deserves its rightful place in the, in the lineage of these type of chairs. Yes. Yeah. And for you as a designer, can I ask this personal question? How do you see the monoblock? Because this is something at the heart of the documentary is the how do people experience this chair? Yeah. And you're asking how I do. Yeah. Yes. Is that okay to ask no, you? No, yeah, totally. I appreciate this chair because in my travels around the world, and probably you too, you see this chair everywhere. And it's not like you think about it very much. It's always kind of in the background. And an invisible product is actually a very useful product. I mean, if you think of all the things in your life, do you want everything in your life to be making a statement and to be speaking loudly and to draw lots of attention? Probably not. There's some things that have to be quiet, and I feel like this chair is kind of quiet and in the background. I do recognize it's problematic to make so many of these chairs, and we see that they're recycled. Probably pretty low number actually get mm -hmm. recycled. Mm -hmm. The plastic itself is easily recycled, but That's whether that happens or yeah. not, yeah. So enough. I have mixed feelings about it. Great. Yeah. Well, it's good to know. Yeah. And what did we learn what did you learn from the documentary from from the reactions to the monoblock from different people places and this documentary is inviting us to peek into yeah okay so one way to think about things if we if you want to talk about this it's totemic things can be thought of as their place on a totem so if you think of a totem like in the northwest native culture of this country right the place on the totem is really important so the monoblock chair is way down at the bottom of the totem. And like an Eames chair might be higher and another, you know, more expensive chair. Off, this office chair I'm sitting in would certainly be higher on the totem, right? We purchase things and consume things 
to say, I also fit here on this totem. Because not only do things exist on the totem, the totemic object also gives us its power, right? So if I'm part of the raven clan on the totem, I also have the powers of the raven, right? So if I'm part of the, let's say, the monoblock clan, I don't have that much power on the totem. Or we think about it in shoes, you know, if I'm part of the Vans clan or the <laughs> Converse High Top clan, right? I'm saying where I fit on the totem, but I'm also getting the powers from that thing that it gives me. I think that's one way we can conceive of things is as totemic objects expressing where we fit. That is so interesting because as you were talking, I, I was I was reflecting on my reaction to the documentary because I, honestly, that chair has changed in the way I view it. Mm -hmm. It might be lower on our totemic yeah. scale, yeah. but so high for some other people. And it's interesting how from one society, one set of social values or, or cultural values, yeah. we move away from that and it's a complete different experience. Yeah. So true. To some people, that chair is what they have. And and it's awesome. I mean, to have a chair or no chair, That's you're going right. to take a chair. Yes. Yeah. And the documentary as well takes us to California, mm -hmm. where this engineer has created a wheelchair yeah. that works with this chair. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, this is what gives mobility to people. And this is very touching because we see people who have been on the floor all their lives needed to be carried by siblings or parents to both places and all of a sudden they're independent. Yeah. So the value, Yeah. that totemic scale is completely different, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's the heart. That was a really touching part, you know, the, the beauty of being able to use the monoblock chair as part of that wheelchair. It's really elegant because it's a $4 part. It provides a molded place mm -hmm. for the person to sit and it's incorporated into the other piece beautifully. And it has to be a part that's both cheap, but then if it's going to break, which it's going to break, can be easily yeah. replaced. Yes. And people can, can yeah. do that. Yeah. Yes. So if we talk about the, is there a life cycle of a monoblock? You mentioned that it's recyclable. That's such good news. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is there a difference between the beginning of this life compared to the end? Yeah. And do, do you see some differences there again? Either we're in the West or if we're in another country where... This chair is so needed. You know, if you think of the film, we see lots of footage of how it's produced and manufactured and, you know, the setting around producing the chair in the first place. Then we see the chair through its life. And then when we go to Brazil, we see the end of the chair, mm -hmm. right? Yes. And think about the processes involved in making the chairs and how developed they are. The process involved in recycling the chair, collecting very underdeveloped, right? Mm -hmm. It's this awesome woman pushing this cart, gathering garbage yes. to recycle. So that end is so underdeveloped in mm -hmm. so many ways compared to the production part of it. Yes. Yeah, I feel like the end of life of things is really in its infancy, you know, how we deal with the end of the life. Excellent. And yeah. something to, to develop so the documentary touches on it and can create a lot of ideas in our viewers hopefully right yeah. about how in their own life they interact with these objects and what does the beginning look like and the end so i have to bring up something okay i'm reading right now a book by ruth ozeki that i really enjoyed the book of form and emptiness 
and it's all about objects. It's all about things in our lives and how we interact with them. And there's a definite Buddhist flavor to the book because the objects have a voice. Uh And as an object designer, creator, maker, how do you relate to this? We talked about the life of an object. How do you relate to an object wanting to be sat on, like this comfortable chair that I am on, or like the pleasure of touching something or creating something and looking at something, a lot of the things in your office and how they became objects of art and something you enjoy looking at. Mm -hmm. What is your take on this? Well, I think about it this way sometimes, and I encourage my students to think about it as things having personalities and things wanting certain things, having volition. And, you know, if we're trying to solve a certain problem, then we'll say, what does the thing want? And they think it's kind of weird. You know, it's a Zen sort of thing, like ask the thing what it wants. And they'll say, how do I ask the thing what it wants? And I say, you can do it. Yes. (laughs) Ask it what it wants, and it will tell you if you are paying attention and, you know, doing all the work. But the thing can tell you what it wants to be and what it wants to do. I I feel like that. I love that. Yeah. And definitely with this book that I'm reading. Absolutely. Yeah. So the chair wants to be sat on. It wants you to sit on. Yes, yes. So we can talk about this more spiritual aspect of thing. And as well, I felt like the documentary was really good about the social impact of design. Mm -hmm. That chair Mm -hmm. has a huge social impact. I don't know if you have any comments on that aspect. I think about the chair in pretty personal terms because I used to work as a furniture maker. And, you know, it's pretty personal when you're making a thing and what's going to be, where is this thing going to go? So... 25 years ago, I read this book called A Body in Pain, and it's an investigation of how people treat each other. And one thing the author said was, a chair can be thought of as a representation of someone wanting to relieve someone else's pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So if you think about it, right, I mean, you could frame chairs lots of different ways, but me wanting to relieve your pain by offering you a seat. So she says that it does it in two ways. One is that the person watching me make a chair is also relieved of their pain because they're sort of entertained and occupied. And I thought, I don't know. But then when you think about it, we're all fascinated by watching things get made. Even in the film, we're watching that chair. You're like, oh, that's pretty cool. So that's one way. The other way is that I'm offering you this place to sit. It's painful to stand If we're on the bus, we're going to offer our seat to someone, right? When someone comes over, you say, have a seat, because it's painful to stand. So the chair is an expression of my desire to relieve your pain. And we see it all around us. So this chair is offering millions of people relief from standing and pretty generous. And it's beautiful the way you put it. And it's true that the aim of the documentary is that. And it's been achieved in such a beautiful way. The cinematography is beautiful. Yeah. That the colors and the way it's, 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 it's a beautiful documentary. Yeah. Anything else you would like to add for our listeners? I don't know. I guess maybe then you start to think about things differently. Like not only the chair, yeah. but all the things that you yes. surround yourself with. Absolutely. And Are they your friends? Are they, you know, what do they mean in your life? I think that's a great introduction to how to start thinking about that. Very, very nice. And one thing that I would like to ask you, David, is just for fun, you know, 
do you have a film that you really like that you think is not good? Because I know you come to international cinema all the time and yeah. you love film. Yeah. But is there something in your film viewing that you're like, oh no, it's so bad, but I love it. <laughs> like for our listeners, just to have fun. Probably that you know is not good, but you're like, oh my goodness, I love this film. Probably like some movie from when I, some film from when I was a kid. Yes. Yeah. Do you remember the first film you saw as a child? Oh yeah, I remember. Herbie Lovebug. All right. Oh, oh, that's, that's the common that's one for, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Okay, another yeah. one about objects, right? Yeah, it was about <laughs> o- object coming to life. Yes, <laughs> yeah. could have not planned this better. Any reading that you do enjoy for our audience? And not necessarily about object, but it might be about object. You mentioned that book you read 25 years ago. That has a big impact on you. Okay, a book that I really love is a book called Understanding Comics. Oh, yes, yeah. good. It explains sequential good. art and how it works and how it affects us and lots of things like growing up reading comics I didn't understand what was happening and to read about it and get some insight into what's going on in sequential art fascinating book excellent on this note we thank you very much David for your time and talking to us today thank you for asking thank you and thank you everybody for joining us on from the booth We are also grateful for the support of the BYU College of Humanities. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not represent official views of the university or its supportive institutions. Work on the Sound is by Hannah Guevara, and the original music playing on this podcast is by Johnny Stalling. Thank you both. Come and see Monoblock and bring a friend. Two screening this week, the week of September 7 to 10. So check the IC website for the complete schedule.